Kia ora koutou katoa. It's Friday 23rd of July 2021 and welcome to the Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, Taxpert and Director of Boucher Consulting Limited, a tax consultancy helping individuals, small businesses and professionals navigate the tax minefield. This week, a reminder on the financial arrangements rules, an update on the interest limitation proposals, and is it time for a fair economic return? The former US Secretary of Defence Don Donald Rumsfeld died recently. Rumsfeld, in the run-up to the Iraq war, mused that there were things that we didn't know we didn't know. And the biggest didn't know that we didn't know in the New Zealand tax system is probably the financial arrangements rules. And I was reminded of this yesterday when a new client approached me in somewhat of a panic because the accounting system was picking up on an unrealised foreign exchange gain, but they weren't at all aware of the relevant tax treatment. And they were, com- they were therefore very shocked when I ran through the provisions of the financial arrangements rules. To, to recap, because there's not much on the Inland Revenue website about these rules, a financial arrangement is a f- an arrangement where there is generally a deferral of a payment of consideration put it simply where a person receives money in consideration for money to be provided in the future. Um, A loan relationship is um, the main category of uh, financial arrangement, bonds for example, Um, but it applies to term deposits because there's a future um, provision of interest um, and foreign exchange accounts. So it's an incredibly comprehensive a part of the Act, but it is not at all well known, because by and large most people are not really um, subject to the rules. There are exemptions for what we call um, cash basis holders. But the rules have proved particularly troublesome for holders of overseas mortgages. So for example, um, people investing who may have migrated here from uh, overseas or have property in Australia, the UK, the US with a foreign mortgage. Uh, And they find that not only are they reporting the income, as they should, but they're also getting um, caught by the movements in the exchange rates on the mortgages. Um, and the most extreme example that I ever encountered was um, a $300,000 movement um, for one client um, that they had income of $300,000 one year. Very frustratingly, um, those that whole position reversed the following income year and they had a $300,000 loss. They still had to pay the tax in the first place. Um, and so th- th- these financial arrangements rules are, are a nightmare. Um, for the unwary. They are, to borrow from Salesforce, are something that people don't know they don't know. And that's what it was that I explained to the client yesterday. But generally though, 
many people should be able to aren't caught by these rules if they can fall within the cash basis holder exemption. But that itself has a couple of traps in it, and this is what unfortunately caught the client. Generally speaking, um, you can be a cash basis holder, and that is you don't have to calculate on an accrual basis. In other words, you don't have to pick up unrealized exchange gains or losses. If um, the either the absolute value of your income and expenditure um, under for an income year is $100,000 or less. Now remember, that's adding income and expenditure. The rules do not operate on a net basis when we're calculating these limits. That's something to be kept in mind. It's one of the other traps that people fall into. They're not calculated on a net mortgage, uh, net basis. So if you had in New Zealand, for example, $500,000 on term deposit and you had a $500,000 mortgage overseas, equivalent of that, although net, you're like, you have a net nil position for the purposes of the financial arrangements rules, you have a $1 million total of financial arrangements. Again, and that will pull you in. If you if on every day, I'm just talking about this million dollar limit, if on every day in a particular year, the absolute value of each of the person's uh, financial arrangements added together has a total value of $1 million or less. Now, as I said, most people should be able to get around that or stay within those limits. The problem is there's another clause which trips people up and they need to be aware of, and that is if the difference between the income that's calculated on an unrealized basis, accrual income, and the income calculated on the cash basis exceeds $40,000, then you cannot be a cash basis person. And that's an absolute at any time. So that means that sudden movements and exchange rates can pull people into the financial arrangements regime without them realizing it because either the total amount of income and expenditure is on a cash basis is under $100,000 or they know that they're below that million dollar threshold. So this is very much a trap for the unwary. How well it's enforced of course is another matter because these are fairly arcane provisions, and I'm not entirely sure Inland Revenue has all the resources to keep on top of what's happening here. Of course, it might help if Inland Revenue and the government looked at these thresholds and adjusted them frequently, more frequently. This, this million dollar threshold has not been adjusted since 1999. And um, as we're going to talk about later on, we've had a fair bit of inflation since then. And, but also, the financial arrangements regime should not really be addressing or pulling in small businesses into the, its net simply because of a, an out-of-date threshold. So it's one of the things that sort of practical matters around the Income Tax Act and the operation of the tax system, which seems to get left lying around until someone somewhere um, realises we haven't actually done anything in this space for 25 years. Well, 22 years in this case. So anyway, be wary of the financial arrangements rules. They apply much more widely than people realise and they catch um, and they will trigger unexpected tax consequences. 
Talking of unexpected and unintended tax consequences, submissions have been were closed on the 12th of July for the uh, government's discussion document on interest limitation rules. And it's fair to say that they've generated a fair bit of controversy. And Inland Revenue, I understand, has received several hundred submissions. And very unsurprisingly, the majority are opposed to the rules. Um, Some of these submissions are now um, available to the public. And it's interesting to have a look at what is being said. There's a a couple of common themes. the Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand have produced a massive and extremely comprehensive um, submission which runs to 108 pages. Now, the discussion document itself was 143 pages. So I think you can take it as absolutely read when the commentary in that on an 143-page discussion document runs itself runs to 108 pages. We are talking about a great deal of complexity. And we're heading into almost certainly a lot of unintended um, and uh, ta- tax consequences. And what um, the CANS submission um, says, and it's, this is echoed by its a fellow accounting body, the um, CPA Australia, is that the um, these measures were a surprise, they didn't go through the normal generic tax policy process and we foresee considerable confusion and um, remediation on these rules. The, you know, the Both both submissions uh, complain about the fact that this didn't go through the normal generic tax policy process which is meant to be no, uh, so work out in advance, well in advance of a an implementation date, what um, the issues are, work through the issues, and get the legislation into a point where everything, uh, everyone, un- are mostly satisfied. That hasn't happened here. It's one of the reasons everyone's a bit unhappy about it. But it's interesting looking back that the breaches of the generic tax policy process most commonly occurred around property. Um, I think both parties um, can recognize and, and can certainly do is that the government is in, in is there to govern and it may decide it has to act for political action um, reasons and unfortunately that means the generic tax policy process just gets um, left by the wayside <coughs> but although people are jumping up and down about what's happened here under the current labor government It's worth noting that there were several unheralded um, moves by the previous um, uh, national-led governments in the 2010 budget, for example, the um, depreciation on residential and commercial buildings were withdrawn without anyone um, much, uh, without any say-so. Um, the same budget put an end to the loss attributing qualifying and qualifying company regimes. And those two, that, that was a response to what was perceived to be issues around, one, tax avoidance, the use in tax avoidance, but two, also around housing and the depreciation withdrawal um, for residential 
um, was also a response to what was seen as um, housing investment residential property being too tax preferred. Um, then in 2015, the um, the national government introduced the first iteration of the Bright Line test. Again, that happened without um, a pre prior consultation on the generic tax policy process. So what's happened here is not uh, under the interest limitation rules is not unusual the process um, I, I tend to agree with all the submitters and I made submission myself is there going to probably be unintended consequences come out of this but it also shows that housing has and tax and the headaches around those two have been going on for more than just um, the last um, start of this current government's um, administration start of this current government's administration and I dare say that one of the things that hasn't been done um, and what needs to be probably addressed is a comprehensive look at the question of the taxation of property because when you're adding in a bright line test now out to 10 years, um, we haven't actually had a review of the original bright line test um, legislation and it's the consequences of that. And we're putting patches on a legislation there or extending it. Meantime, we've got confusion um, around whether a um, subject a property sale might be subject to the bright line test or other taxing provisions within the Income Tax Act. So, and against the, so it's against that backdrop. Moving on to a final point this week. This week is that um, Professor Susan St John and I. So decided to come forward with the idea of what, we call, what we've called a fair economic return. And this is building on the idea um, first mooted by the McLeod Tax Review in 2001 about perhaps applying a deemed rate of return to property as an alternative taxation base. We norms is particularly sold on a capital gains tax but there's a recognition that the tax treatment of property and ha uh, has become un oh, even back then in tw 20 years ago was favorable and discoursing distortions in the tax system those have become magnified over the past 20 years so we have produced a working paper um, on suggesting that we apply a, a fair economic return the rate is yet to be determined but we We've used a working examples. Given the paper has working examples of one, two, or three percent, and applying that to the net um, equity in property across all property. Now, to get around the definitional issue of um, what is a main home and give an exemption there, we've suggested that there should be an exemption that applies. And in our working paper, we've suggested that exemption could be a million dollars. So. To give an example of how it works, would work. Um, a couple living in uh, Auckland um, in a house worth three million dollars. They have a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Um, so therefore, the net equity in the house is two point five million. Each of them has an exemption of one million dollars. That means that once that's taken into account, there's five hundred thousand dollars of equity which is subject to the fair economic return at um, a rate let's say one percent that gives income of five thousand dollars or two thousand five hundred dollars each 
So that's an idea we put out there. We've been talking on the radio about it, um, and it's obviously gen- generated a fair bit of feedback. Um, not all of that favourable, but that's not surprising. Point is, we take the view um, that it's time to try a different approach. Patches to the system such as interest limitation rules, extension of bright line tests, then exemptions for new bills, etc., do not work. In, are, are, are just that, patches, and it's time for a comprehensive, um, a, different, a different approach um, to the whole issue of property taxation. Um, so we'll be updating the working paper. Always happy to take comments on that. Um, but in the meantime, that's it for me from this week. I'm Terry Boucher and you can find this podcast on my website www.boucher.tax or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and please send me your feedback and tell your friends and clients. Until next week, Kakitiano.